knowing our past equips our present and shapes our future. That is something that I hold dear to my heart. I love history. I'm, I'm a little wired that way. That was my favorite class in Bible school. Church history, it was amazing and inspiring. Uh, it's like going through Hebrews 11 only uh, with other people and, and looking at their stories, persevering faith. And so on October 31st, 1517, now let's do the math here, 500 years ago. That seems like a long time for some of us. And for others, you're like, that's really not that long, right? I mean, 500 years. Think of the change that's taken place in our world in 500 years. Think of the change that has taken place by God's grace through an obedient man, Martin Luther, to take a stand and protest the corruption that was rampant in the Roman Catholic Church. Think of how God used that man to change the course of his church and to keep her faithful throughout the years. 500 years ago, to sum up these series of protests, these 95 issues that he raised with the Roman Catholic Church, theologically speaking, we can sum them up in these. Sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone. Sola fide, we are saved by faith alone. Faith alone. So, Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, solas Christus, in Christ alone. There is no other Savior. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, based upon the authority of Scripture alone. We don't look to the Pope. We don't need uh, exterior sources of credibility. We have in God's Word the authority of all authorities. We have God speaking through his word. This is so important for us to see this. this. It's one of the reasons why we are not all this morning Roman Catholic. If God had not accomplished this massive shift, then we today would probably be continuing as the church did for hundreds of years. It is God's grace that he has brought us back to a faithful gospel to see the fullness of his word and to then hold to it despite the pressure all around. So on Reformation Sunday, each year we go through and we look at one of these important shapers, mighty men of the faith who have made an impact on what we do on Sunday mornings. And we have already covered Luther, Augustine, Calvin, Knox, Tyndale, Whitfield. Last year, Athanasius going way back to like 200, uh, 300 A.D. And uh, this year, John Bunyan. Next year, William Carey. And I'm excited because uh, we're, we're, we have such a mission emphasis in our church. And this man led the charge in so many ways as we look at his life next year. And if God gives grace, by the time I turn 70, we're going to study the grace of God that worked in my dad's life. As he stood and faithfully preached all those years, he'll be with the Lord by then, as will many of you. You see, what we're doing here is we're stepping back out of the immediate and asking, where have we been? Where are we going? Let's stand in the faith of the ages, rooted in the Word of God. And so, some of you are picking out your favorites, names that are familiar to you, and you're like, man, let's, can we just fast forward to that? I had someone say, can we do C.S. Lewis like next year? 
Well, you've got a few years before we get to Lewis. So John Bunyan today, he lived 1628 to 1688. Kids, you know this man a little better now. Good job. Thank you for helping us get to know him. You can be dismissed to go to your class. And uh, if you all need a Bible, just wave your hand and these ushers can get you one. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. John Bunyan, look at that mustache, right? I mean, that could come back around. We're getting close to Movember, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Everybody grows a mustache in November? Uh, I love it. He didn't have a full beard like many of those guys back then, but boy, he had a mustache going. 1628 to 1688. 59, almost 60, right in there. Years of God's grace. So I titled the sermon, John Bunyan, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And uh, that's his title of his autobiography of himself that he wrote when he was in prison. I'd like to ask the Lord's blessing on our time as we study this man and the text that best captures his life. Would you pray with me? Father, now we come before you once again to... Uh, to do the work of a a biography sermon. And Lord, this is uniquely challenging. I I pray that that you would use me to help introduce John Bunyan to these people and for some reintroduce him. I pray that we would, as Hebrews 11 calls us to, learn from his faith and emulate it, uh, that we would be strengthened in our own faith and walk with you by the way that he was faithful to you. Father, I pray that this passage in Matthew 11 would come alive for us in a new way as we put it in the context of his life and how you met him. Bless us and lead us now, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give you a bit of a uh, a preview of where we're going. This verse, I think, is the one that captures best uh, John Bunyan's life. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor... And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. More on that in a few minutes. Let's get to know John Bunyan. Uh, John was a rebel and everybody knew it including John. I'll give you a a little family history here. Born in 1628, Elstow, England, about 50 miles north of London. So can you kind of picture where we're at? Um, Right uh, after Luther had launched the Protestant Reformation, the shockwaves were going throughout the kingdom. There was all kinds of uh, opposition to what was going on, but God had raised up many who were faithful to preach the word, and those influences continued to just snowball. Uh, throughout the known world at this time. He was born into a poor family. His father was a metal worker. Back in the day, they called him a a tinker. And so he learned his father's trade, kind of a a, a guy, a a, a jack of all trades. If it was metal and it needed fixing, then his father and and John, they could come and, and do that. Not a lot of money in that. John was given the most basic of education of this time, uh, he was taught to read and to write, but pretty much that was it. There was no other education that he was really given or, or had access to. And then I just added this unrivaled rebellion. 
John was an extremely difficult child to parent. Uh, it doesn't, we don't have the sense that he was raised in any context of gospel or, or, uh, or faith in the Lord, and yet his depravity was on display daily, and he drove his parents nuts. He said this of himself, I had few equals, especially in considering my years, considering my years were tender, I was young, I had few equals for cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God. I was the very ringleader of all the youth that kept me company in all manner of vice and ungodliness. He was uh, the lead sinner of his group of juveniles. And there are many more stories that could be told there. We saw a glimpse of that exchange with one of the town's women that heard him and his filthy mouth and rebuked him publicly and he felt so ashamed about it. But here's the deal. It didn't change him. It, it just didn't, it, it didn't have an effect on him. And he continued in this for many years. When he was 13 years old, his sister died. 13 years old. E Ethan is 14, right? Gracie, you're 11. So it would be like if Gracie died and Ethan had to experience that, they're, they're very close, and all of a sudden he loses his sister. Uh, his mother died just two years later. Can you imagine that? One month after John Bunyan's mom dies, his dad remarries another woman. You talk about process the pain of loss and then reintroduce a brand new person in the mix. Uh, everybody would probably say that was too fast. Uh, the grief and the challenge was, was heavy. John was already rebellious. Now he's in a situation where he has a stepmom. He's still grieving the loss of his, his birth mom and his sister. And at age 16, he's a young man. He's called off and drafted into the parliamentary army. He was away from home for two years, and he was a messenger. And so they would give him, because he was young, they would give him messages uh, to take back and forth in the front lines. And, and uh, he was seeing combat, very direct combat. He was fast, but there was one exchange that he pointed out where a messenger grabbed the, the one that he was supposed to take instead of him and ran out and was struck by a bullet and killed right there. And that really landed at home in John's mind. He's thinking, that, that should have been me right there. Dead. And so he began to feel concerned about all the depravity that he had been cho choosing to live in and, and store up. And this is where we get to the burden of John Bunyan. And I, what I want you to think about here is grace abounding to the chief of sinners is his autobiography. It's the story of his life. Pilgrim's progress is the allegory of his life. Okay, so this is important to remember. When you think pilgrim, think John Bunyan. This is what he's, he's kind of sharing through story form, like Lewis or Tolkien, his journey with the Lord in faith. And so the burden comes to mind. Daily sin and nightly torment, he would sin it up during the day and then he would try to sleep. And he was afflicted. He said he would have these horrible nightmares of being judged by God for his sin. Um, even uh, thrown into hell for what he had done. Uh, pilgrim's burden. I, I often will think of this. Just this, this man 
carrying around this massive load on his shoulders, and he cannot get it off. Everywhere he goes, it's there, and it's weighing him down. And just like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, you see this poor man just carrying this weight. Well, that was Bunyan, and it weighed on him. And if you read Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, it's unbelievable the torment that this, this guy describes of what this was like. How am I to be rid of such a burden? And that leads us then to the search for righteousness. He began a search. Uh, there was an attempt to at least address this problem, and, and he thought, well, if I just do enough good, then I can counteract it, right? If I'm a, a good person or if I try to be religious. And so the search begins. Uh, at age 20, he marries a, a young lady who was quite poor, and her father had died and left her two books. So poverty, okay? Again, books were a treasure, but that's what she has. So she brings into the marriage two books. The books happen to be The Practice of Piety and The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven. Do you see the roots of Pilgrim's Progress? God sovereignly orchestrates that these would be the two books that would then come into the home. And no TV, no cell phones. Can you believe it, kids? No apps, no games. What do you do if you're a newlywed? You read. So he began to read these books, and they captivated him. And it was just like God was taking his heart and beginning to draw him to himself. Little by little, he was stirred in his heart by these books. The problem is, is that he thought that work is what would save him, what would deal with the burden on his back. And so he began to be quite busy with going to church and being very religious and trying to be a good person and to try to counteract all the bad things he had done by doing many good things. And as we saw up here one day, he thought pretty highly of himself. His self-righteousness was blossoming in his ability to discuss the scriptures with people and, and, and know the answers to the questions. And then he heard the group of poor townswomen talking. And they spoke of incredible joy and peace and, and the rest that is found in Christ. Rest for your souls. And Bunyan realized he lacked. He lacked everything that they had. It was missing. And so he began to battle deep and lasting doubt and fear. He would describe it as uh, the doom of damnation. It was, I'm talking, it wasn't just uh, it was a cloudy day and he was a little down. I'm talking two years of total darkness and despair. Overwhelmed, almost paralyzed with the weight of what he had done and the offense that it was to God, and the judgment that he was convinced was coming his way. One of the deepest places he reached was on the other side of what he thought he had committed, the unforgivable sin that he had said in a moment, Lord, I don't need you anyway. And he was so guilty of that for rejecting Christ and the gospel that he knew about through his reading. And... Uh, my goodness, if God in His grace had not met this man, he would have been stuck in the pit, just in the dark, wallowing 
He describes it this way. I felt my heart freely consent there too. Oh, the diligence of Satan. Oh, the desperateness of man's heart. I found it hard to work now to even pray because despair was swallowing me up. And when you read through his autobiography, you feel this on almost every page, just, just completely convinced that he was lost and that there was no hope for him. Now, the radical realization happens, and this is what leads us back to this Reformation Sunday theme. He has a radical realization. Let me read how he puts it. One day as I was passing into the field, uh, a sermon that he had heard, the, the sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God cannot say of me, he lacks my righteousness for that was just before him. And I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For, and this is the key, my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. Now, see how he's, he's done that? Hebrews 13.8. One of the things I love about Bunyan, as he writes, is he just shotgun blasts Scripture. Constant references throughout all of his writing in that autobiography. Saturating Scripture in his thinking. What was the effect of this? Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. And I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. Wow. That's what we call sovereign salvation. Accomplished by God. Setting free a man who was so in chains in his own uh, sin. Under the captivity of the enemy himself. God sets him free. We are saved. We are justified, declared righteous by grace alone. To be clear, we cannot do that. We cannot earn that. We don't deserve it. If I do something that would somehow position me to be called righteous, then grace isn't grace. We are saved by grace alone. God overcame him in his dark captivity and sin and pulled him out to show him that his righteousness was Jesus himself. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not activity or earning or doing. It is simply believing and trusting. We receive the gift of God, the salvation of our souls, as we would receive a gift on Christmas morning. And that gift is Jesus Himself. He is the only Savior. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based upon the authority of Scripture alone. There's the five solas. That is what we believe, friends. 
if you pull any one of these out, the plane goes down. It's like losing a wing. The plane won't fly without a wing. You need all of these as the Scripture presents them. Reformation Sunday. Thank you, Martin Luther, for calling us back to the Word and away from all the compromise. Listen as he writes this in Pilgrim's Progress. Just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders, came off, and it fell from off his back, and it began to tumble, tumble down the hill. And where did it go? It, it continued until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, the tomb. And there it fell in, and I saw it no more. See what he's saying? How is it that Jesus is my righteousness? How is it that my burden is addressed in Him as I come to Him and I trust His work on my behalf? His obedience becomes my obedience. His sacrifice is what took my sin and buried it in the tomb to see it no more. Now I'm free. Now I'm forgiven because we have a risen Savior. Not only one who died to pay for and bury our sins, to remove them as far as east is from the west, but one who lives and conquered death and sin and hell on our behalf and says, come, be free. Come, lay down your burdens. I am your righteousness, he says, to those who long for freedom. Come to me, Jesus says. You see this verse now? Oh, all who labor, John Bunyan. You're heavy laden. Come. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that? Because he's already done the work. He's already finished the work. Trust me. Trust me. John Bunyan went on then to be mentored by Pastor John Gifford, as we saw Aiden with the beard on. I need that beard. That was awesome. Bedford Church, not far from where Bunyan was born, became his home church. It was a nonconformist church. In this time, that's another way of saying faithful, okay? Faithful to the Word. They didn't bend or cave to the government's requirements. They stayed true to the Word, and they preached the gospel. Bunyan would say of uh, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians that it was the most precious book to him that helped him understand the gospel aside from the Bible. I, I have that in my office. It's amazing. Forgiveness, freedom and peace with God. He says this, Oh, the remembrance of my great sins, my great temptations, of my great fears of perishing forever. They bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of my great help. I should have capitalized help. My great Savior. My great support from heaven. And the great grace that God extended to such a wretch as I. Here's one thing that Bunyan did not lack. 
he did not lack an awareness of the offensiveness of his sin. That was keen and clear in his mind. He was a great sinner, and he wasn't trying to pretend that he wasn't. He needed a great Savior, and he found that as Jesus found him. He went then to preach, and he was persecuted for it. His preaching, I, just time doesn't allow to go into his preaching. He started as a field preacher, just like Whitfield. He began preaching out in the fields. People would flock in. Talking hundreds of people would come to listen to a tinker preach. The man was uneducated, and yet he spoke plainly. He just, he just spoke of the gospel. In fact, as I read through his, his book uh, uh, on his life, he said, there were other people more gifted in the finer points of theology. Here's what I decided to do. Just tell them what God had done in my life. Just, if he could save me, he could save you. Look what he did here. Look to Jesus. And the call was just so clear. John Owen, another amazing man we'll study soon, was a thinker, a very uh, smart and educated man. He was floored by John Bunyan's preaching. Deeply moved and affected. He loved to hear, as he said, the tinker preach. Power of God in the word, faithfully preached. Bunyan began to preach in 1655. Bunyan's wife dies after 10 years of marriage in 1658, leaving four children. The oldest of his four uh, was a daughter who was blind. Okay? One year later, and we don't know his first wife's name. It's amazing that history has missed that somehow. We don't know her name, but she stood by him faithfully, and they shared life for 10 years. They had four children. Um, they were poor, and yet they, they did their best. And then she died. He married Elizabeth in uh, 1659. Now, a little bit of English history. We have to understand a little bit of this in order to appreciate Bunyan's uh, context of his ministry. In this time in England, you had parliament versus the monarchy, right? So, uh, which is ironic because of what you see over there now, it's sort of confusing. That's nothing new. It's always been confusing and it's been bloody. Oliver Cromwell hit the scene and the Eng English Civil War erupted, basically parliament saying, we need power. And the monarchy saying, nope, we're going to take power. But here's the thing. Parliament was really, in many ways, re reflecting and representing faithfulness to the word. They wanted the Puritans to be able to preach. They supported nonconformist churches. The monarchy did not. And so we know who we're cheering for in this. In 1649, King Charles who was ruling over this, was beheaded. Now, this is kind of mind-blowing for us to even imagine. But the Civil War was so intense that it's just imagine our own president being beheaded and then replaced. This is earth-shaking times. We're talking very uncertain. What is going to happen tomorrow? Who knew, right? The king was beheaded. The new commonwealth was brought into place under Cromwell. And what a wonderful thing this was. There were people, Jews, who had not been allowed on the island since the 1200s. 
and they were, they were brought back during this period of time. Incredible freedom uh, was experienced, and, and Bunyan began to preach in this freedom. And uh, then, after Cromwell died, the power was lost. Uh, the guy that took his place was not able to lead, and the monarchy reinserted itself and put Charles II on the throne. The problem is that Charles II immediately began to squash the religious freedom, which is also part of our story as we came over to find a new way. Bunyan was arrested literally that same year and thrown into prison for preaching the word of God. This is what he said. The parting with my wife and poor children hath been to me in this place as the pulling of flesh from my bones. And not that only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies, but also because I should have often brought to my mind the many hardships and miseries and wants that my poor family was like to meet with should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all besides. Oh, the thoughts of the hardship I thought my blind one might undergo would break my heart to pieces. We need to feel the weight of this. He's been married for one year. His wife has their first child in her womb. She has four other children that came with John. The oldest is blind. They are poor. And then he's gone to jail. What do you do? It was so traumatic on his new wife that she miscarried and lost that child. She went through all of the grief of that on her own and the challenge of trying to survive with these four kids. Twelve years in prison. She was amazing. Amazing. Some of the quotes that history gives of what she said in this time. She supported her husband. The call for Bunyan was to recant. Turn back from this preaching. Stop preaching what you're preaching and get in, get in line. You need to take Episcopal ordination. You need to get on page with the Book of Common Prayer. You need to do what the king says. And if you do so, we'll let you out. He's in prison. And all he has to do is say, okay, fine. I won't do that. And he can go and care for his family as they languish without him. This is what he says. If nothing will do unless I make of my conscience a continual butchery and slaughter shop, unless, putting out my own eyes, I commit me to the blind to lead me, as I doubt not desired by some, I have determined, the Almighty God being my help and shield, yet to suffer, if frail life may continue so long, even till the moss shall grow on mine eyebrows, rather than thus to violate my faith and principles. He didn't flinch, though it was painful and excruciating. He stayed in that prison cell, faithful to the Lord, 12 years. Hmm. He was jailed, but he was not silenced. Brings to mind another man, mighty preacher, incredible church planter who was in prison. What do you do in prison? If you have the Word of God, you have an example, right? The Apostle Paul, what did he do? He wrote. So what did Bunyan do? He wrote. 
He began to write, and they could not silence him. The fragrance of affliction and the flow of Bunyan's pen. He was an uneducated man, but he knew how to write. And so he began to preach through his pen. And he would write. He wrote his autobiography. He wrote a number of other books, 11 books, during that 12 years. And then they let him out, and he continued to write. They put him back in prison for another six months, and that is God's gift of Pilgrim's Progress, which shook the world. I think, if my data's right, it might have been replaced by Harry Potter now. But aside from the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress was the most published book in history up until just a couple years ago. From, from jail, he did that. That's awesome. Amazing. He said this, In times of affliction, we commonly meet with the sweetest experience of God's love. That's not a man who says it on the outside of the cell. That's a man who sits for 12 years inside and says that. We need this history, do we not? As we're singing this morning, I'm thinking, there is no fear in my mind that the police would come in and arrest me today. No fear. But because I studied Bunyan all week long, I'm thinking, what would that be like? Sweet love of God meets those who are afflicted in suffering. There's all kinds of suffering. We don't have the similar suffering they had, but there is affliction. There are trials. We can be encouraged, friends. He pastors from prison. Uh, if he couldn't go to his people, which every now and then they allowed him a chance to go home and see his family, which was a huge gift. Uh, but more often than not, he would invite that little flock to come and gather in the prison and he would preach through the bars to them. That's cool. Let's go to church. Come on, kids. We're going to jail to hear our pastor preach. That would leave a mark, wouldn't it? What words has God put on his heart this week as he sits in that cell making shoelaces out of leather to try to keep his family from starving? Amazing. In uh, 1672, he was released from prison. He preached, for the most part, free, except for those six months, for 16 years. Incredible uh, ministry. Many would come and hear him. In fact, they invited him to London regularly, and that's what happened in 1688. He rode down to London to preach and also to help with a father and son who were at odds, and he wanted to see them reconciled. That was successful, but he was so sick uh, in the midst of some severe weather. He was 50 miles from home, and he died. At age 59, almost 60, he, he died. His family wasn't there. In fact, they probably at this point would not have known he was even sick. They get the word, he's gone. And that's it. That's his life. 59, 60 years God gave. He shook the world. 
response this morning, there are so many ways that God can land this in our lives. Three things that just hit me as I look at what he went through and how the anchor of the gospel met him in all of these things. Number one, this man had deep-rooted conviction. Deep roots that reached far beyond any self-righteous surface stuff. He reached down to the roots of the gospel. That anchor, that rock, that fortress. He had roots that were wrapped around the rocks so deep that no matter how much the storm winds would blow, he stood tall. I want to be like that. We need that in our time, don't we? He had a backbone to stand up when everything was going this way. He stood and he said, no, I will be faithful. I will not recant. I will continue to preach. And I will write if you put me in prison. Oh, that we would be more and more like that. A people so deeply rooted in the gospel. And yet, here's the thing. He wasn't hard-hearted or jaded. He was soft-hearted. He wrote so many books, 40, uh, I think 42 by the time he was done. And many of them were just so pastoral, encouraging his people, encouraging soft hearts. He actually encouraged them not to be mad at those who had imprisoned him. What God says is best Indeed, is best, though all men in the world are against it. You believe that? It's only by God's grace that we could stand like this man, so rooted, fixed upon what is true and right. Just like Luther, who stood against the world, and the many others that we've studied and will study, Bunyan falls into that camp. The second reason I believe he was able to be so deep-rooted to stand resolved is because he embraced fully and believed and, and was ministered to by and held up by the view of Scripture that God is, in fact, absolutely sovereign over all things, in all places, at all times. There is no trial that we could meet that His hand has not sovereignly allowed to bring to pass in our lives. Like Job, he can say, though He slay me, yet my hope is in Him. Absolute sovereignty. If you talk to people who have suffered greatly, almost to a man, you will hear, my greatest comfort in the midst of these trials was that God is in control. God is in control. We do well to dig deep, swim in the deep end of the sovereign glory of God so that we can have roots that sink down and when the storms come, we can be ministered to by a God so big that He can employ blood and pain and jail time and persecution and martyrdom in the cause of His great purpose in this earth. Not just sunny days and blessings in the form that we tend to think. 
Joel Osteen has nothing on that. Don't fall for that garbage. God is big. He is in control. And He will walk you into the valley of the shadow of death to give you Himself. The greatest gift He can give. He's never surprised. He's always in control. And He is good. Oh, read from Bunyan and hear His delight in the sovereignty of God. There is that of God to be seen in such a day as cannot be seen in another. His power in holding up some, His wrath in the leaving of others, His making of shrubs to stand, and His suffering of cedars to fall. We are apt to overshoot in the days that are calm and to think ourselves far higher and more strong than we find we be when the trying day is upon us. We could not live without such turnings of the hand of God upon us. We should be overgrown with flesh if we had not our, listen, seasonable winters. This is how he describes it. When he says seasonable winters, he sees the bars of prison, seasonable winters. He sees a blind daughter that he cannot provide or protect. It is said in some countries that trees will grow but will not bear fruit because there is no winter there. Wow. We are called to bear fruit. God knows that just like some of these varieties of apple trees that I researched, I grew up in Yakima, I should have known this. There are many varieties of apple trees that will not bear fruit unless they reach a certain critical cold throughout the winter. It's required in order for a bumper crop to unfold in the spring. Blossoms across the orchard. God does that. He sends the snow. He sends the cold. He's sovereign in the winter of your life, my friends, because He wants you to bear fruit in the spring when He brings you forth, shining bright, sustained by Him. There's hope there. That meets us all. Number three, Jesus, my righteousness. One of the things that just impressed me as I surveyed his life was the moment that God overcame his inability to save himself. The moment that God showed him, in fact, that he could not achieve righteousness in himself. Could not save himself. And then he showed him the face of Christ. It changed everything. His burden fell off his back and tumbled down into the tomb and he saw it no more as the worship team comes now i asked if they would play a song by david crowder called lay down your burdens i want to encourage you to think through the words of this song and pray because there might be some here today who have been on that journey and when you think about the burden of John Bunyan, 
you think, you know, I can identify with that. I feel the weight of my sin. I feel guilty. I feel shame for things I've done in my past. I feel that burden and I want to be free. And the gospel meets you today by pointing you to Jesus, your righteousness. Some of you might be here and you've experienced freedom. You've experienced salvation. But you feel burdened. You feel the weight of sin in your life. You feel the weight of uh, trials or challenges and you want to just find rest for your soul. Run to Jesus this morning. Let these words just sink into your soul. Would you pray with me? Father, we come now to do the soul work empowered by your Spirit encouraged by Your Word, captivated by Your Son, Jesus. I thank You for saving me, sinner, with a burden, forgiven, and set free by Jesus, my righteous. I pray, Lord, if there are any here today who came in carrying the burden of their sin, the weight of their guilt, the fallout of a thousand decisions against Your will. I pray that they would come, even now, Lord, in faith, and turn to Jesus to be Savior. That they would trust Him and His perfect work on their behalf. That they would lay down their burden, confess their sins, turn to you, be free, accomplish salvation in our midst, we pray, O God, in sovereign power, please save. For those here, Lord, who know you as Savior, but still feel the weight and the burden of walking in this world, I pray in a thousand different ways now that you would meet them and call them to freedom in Christ. That they would confess and that they would turn and that they would repent and that you would meet them there just as they are. In weakness, Lord, show yourself strong. In our sin, prove your righteousness through your Son, Jesus. We give thanks and praise for this man, John Bunyan, and it is so good. It sharpens our reality in this life to be addressed by our own history. We pray, Father, now as we go from this place that you would lead us and and call us forward. In Jesus' name, amen.